0: Okay, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Bitcoin stoa. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Uh, If you listen to this podcast on fountain, you can actually get paid Bitcoin to listen. You can also send sats, which are small fractions of Bitcoin, if you're not familiar with the terminology um, to support the show if you enjoy the content as well. So today is December twelfth, 2023. Block 82888. And for people who are silly enough to sell their Bitcoin right now, the current exchange rate is forty thousand eight hundred and eleven dollars uh, U.S. dollars per Bitcoin. So today, I'm having a conversation with Stuart Lockey. and Stuart reached out to me on X, FKA Twitter, uh, a few weeks ago, and we decided to connect today for a conversation. So this is our first conversation. We don't really know each other um, yet, and uh, you know, as per the Bitcoin way, we want to open source this discussion as a podcast on the Bitcoin STOA and also on YouTube um, so that others can listen and hopefully build on what we talk about uh, today and you know have future conversations that span the intersection of health and Bitcoin, which is kind of what we're going to stick to today in terms of our broad guardrail. So um, Stuart, thanks for being here. Appreciate you taking the time.
1: Great to be here. Excited to talk about this subject.
0: Likewise. So I figure uh, why don't we start with just 10 minutes each riffing about you know, our backgrounds, how we got here in terms of this area of interest, maybe things we're working on right now. And I think from like a zoomed out perspective, let's share our current perspective on health and Bitcoin ideas we have, but what that can look like in the future. And I think the real juice that I want to zone in on today is what does healthcare look like in a Bitcoin world? Because I think in times of radical transformation, there's an opportunity for radical imagination especially as we're basically rebuilding from scratch because the fiat world, there's really not much we can preserve from that. So why don't you um, start and maybe go for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. I'd love to listen to your background and then I can riff a bit and we'll see where it goes. I love it.
1: Thank you again. Yeah, so I'm going to back up. I grew up um, in a small town in Kentucky and grew up as uh, kind of a radio rat my family owned and operated radio stations terrestrial radio stations um that went on air back in the 1940s uh, and uh so i grew up kind of in that business and
0: um you got a good radio voice for the record Well,
1: <laughs> thank you i appreciate that maybe a face for radio yeah, uh, there you go. as they say but no I, I moved to nashville tennessee which many people you know have come to know as you know country music capital of the world but ironically there are there's a bigger healthcare economy in Nashville than there is an entertainment economy. And Nashville is the capital of the health uh, of the U.S. for health services. And a lot of the hospitals and uh, many of the SAS models in the U.S. healthcare system are based out of Nashville or have come out of companies that started in Nashville. So pretty robust uh, economy from that standpoint. Uh, But radio brought me to Nashville and I quickly got into healthcare uh, a couple of years after I moved here and and got exposed to uh, the startup world, and um, just had a, a thirst to you know be exposed to healthcare technologies that um, offered a, a new way of thinking um, in reducing the the quantity of healthcare um, required and um, increasing the quality. Uh, over, let's say, say an episode of care. And so most of my experience was in orthopedic spine and neurosurgery on the device side. So when someone needed a back surgery, uh, as an example, they would use uh, instrumentation and hardware to have a back surgery from companies that i kind of helped uh, commercialize. So did that for a few different companies over, call it a, a 15 uh, to 18 year period. And uh, again, just as I was building these companies, What I noticed at the same time, because of the early stage nature of of startups, you're forced to um, demonstrate not only a clinical superiority versus standard of care, but also a financial impact model. How will this save the healthcare system compared to the current standard of care? And so I got comfortable talking about hard and and soft costs of, of technology's impact on a specific specialty. Um, in 2016, uh, was invited to a healthcare meetup here in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, about this subject called blockchain and, and Bitcoin, and that began my journey uh, t- towards understanding the implications. At that time, how the technology could have an impact on healthcare, but really, um, you know, grew to understand over time that what I thought about. Bitcoin in the early days, um, I didn't understand. And so what I'm excited to talk about today is is maybe the evolution of being brought into this space under the auspices of something like blockchain, but really going to school and learning that that Bitcoin really can solve what I believe are a lot of the challenges in healthcare um, as people become more familiar with it. So um yeah that's a little bit about my background came from traditional healthcare found bitcoin and have been a student um ever since
0: yeah bitcoin is the ultimate rabbit hole for curious people Uh, (laughs) and if you layer onto that entrepreneurs who you know find joy and meaning in solving hard problems and doing hard things uh then it's like a double double whammy so yeah it does take a while to really study bitcoin deeply enough to really get it I think the deeper you go, the more you realize how little, you know, at least that's been my experience. And uh, like I said, if you're curious, it's like this never ending uh, study practice that allows you to take so many different roads that there's always some sort of novel face of the thousand by thousand square Rubik's cube that you can explore. Um, I spent the past eight years of my life in the world of what I thought was health, but what I really learned was the disease world, the, the disease care world um and yeah i'm formally trained as a physical therapist when i graduated from school i opened a clinic and uh really experienced firsthand the business side of what is widely acknowledged in canada at least that's i'm coming from the canadian perspective but i do i am pretty literate with different you know the european the uk the australian and the united states perspective to some extent um people here call healthcare they call disease care, healthcare, right? Like disease care, which I defined as the diagnosis of disease and the treatment of symptoms is widely acknowledged as healthcare, which I think is part of the problem. Because if we think we have a healthcare system, then there's no need to actually ask the question, like, how do we build one, right? People think we already have one, we just have to improve it, it has to be more efficient, all that stuff. And, you know, I call that kind of healthcare 1.0, which is really just disease care. So I spent time inside the, the world, the business world of Fiat disease care and quickly realized that a system that revolves around diagnosing problems, attaching big words, and then treating the symptoms of the problems without actually ever addressing the root cause. Because as a physio, I was not trained to address root cause. I was trained to treat people's symptoms. That's why they came to see me. Um, I wasn't trained to help them change their lifestyle. They didn't actually come to see me to change their lifestyle. They wanted the quick fix right? This high time preference world that Fiat has designed where people are like, I'm coming to see you. I have pain. I want no pain. That's it. I don't really care if it's actually short term. I just want no pain now. So very quickly realized like, I don't think this is sustainable. You know, everyone just ends up sick and trying their best to get out of pain and being given these short term options. And none, none of the professionals that I saw in disease care were actually trained on how to help people with their health. It all revolved around disease. Um, And then i kind of shifted over to more of what i call a healthcare business which was just education um started a company called the foot collective it was a health health network focused on feet and the whole premise was why don't we help people better understand foot health and help them take care of their feet by wearing better shoes by just understanding how the body works at a fundamental level and see if we can actually build a profitable business on that and that's what i call healthcare 2.0 in my mind is like Healthcare 2.0 is just self-care, right? Like people literally taking care of themselves and the businesses that are built on healthcare 2.0 no longer are there to be the hero to, to solve people's problems and give them the answers. They're companies that provide education and tools that help people take better care of themselves. And you know, a couple of my really core tenets in terms of my understanding of health is that health is a process, not a destination. So I think if we all, kind of like Bitcoin, right? Like you don't get to a place where like, I know everything about Bitcoin. It's really a process of constant learning. Change is hard. Most people learn in one or two ways, including myself. It's either curiosity or pain. Uh, I think that holds true with health and money. And unfortunately, the pass, path most commonly taken, it seems, is pain. People change through pain. Um, and my biggest framework for health is uh, the six pillars. So I look at sleep, food, movement, the mind, community, and money and actually consider money, um, to be, you can either call me Nick or caribou. It's not a big mystery. It's up to you. Um, the, I consider money to be the keystone pillar, meaning that you can understand all the other pillars, but if your time is constantly being stolen from you because of the money you're choosing to use, you're never actually going to have time available to take care of yourself. And so even though being healthy doesn't depend on money, having an understanding of money and saving your time in a form of money that doesn't steal from you is an incredibly important part of actually being able to preserve your health. Not to mention the fact that Fiat is super stressful, right? Like when you're constantly trying to make ends meet working harder to get less, that's super stressful. And so I think that contributes, I think Fiat is just bad for people's health in general. Um, and you know, I know from my experience, once I started saving, my time and energy in a form of money that didn't steal from me, I all of a sudden had this surplus of time and energy to be able to learn about health and learn about how to take better care of myself. And so I think that's where my interest comes from, this notion that Bitcoin seems to be ushering in this renaissance of personal responsibility, this rebirth of people actually being willing to take personal responsibility. And I think the time preference built into our money actually colors the time preference we use in our lives and the fact that bitcoin is a low time preference money and health is a low time preference endeavor really gives me this confidence that bitcoin is solving the health problem it happens at an individual level everyone is going to be experiencing exponentially more pain in terms of their health and in terms of their money and therefore everyone will find bitcoin eventually it just depends on how curious you are and how much pain you're experiencing so that's sort of my background and I think Bitcoin is just this magical thing that you know the trope that Bitcoin fixes everything I don't think it fixes everything but it fixes most things and I think health is one of the things that it fixes so um yeah where do you want to go next with the conversation that's kind I of love that. no neutral. I love
1: that um I've, you know I've got some I've got some data I want to share at some point during our chat together Nick it um you know illustrating at least in the us system in terms of um the impact that an increase you know the inflationary pressures that we we talk about in in the bitcoin space across all economies right all sectors of all economies is also found in the healthcare system the us healthcare system and i can share an infographic just i created um to illustrate the cost of healthcare over the last you know several decades in the US and there's there's historic reasons that we can go into why that is at least in this country Um, but then also showing say over the last seven years the cost of healthcare and denominated in Bitcoin and just the inverse and we all know what that you know looks like generally speaking but the specific inverse uh, increase versus decrease uh, USD versus Bitcoin and, and the impact and cost of on the US healthcare system and I I believe as you do, like over my course and my journey in Bitcoin, um, I actually started co-founded a company that was attempting to create a new health economy. But I didn't know enough about Bitcoin back back then in 2017 to be intelligent enough to understand why Bitcoin would be a better solution. So I think we all have our we all have our pathway towards understanding why Bitcoin is important and even the implication on on, on our health. As we think about it. And um I agree completely. Uh, and, and we we probably overlap a lot because I've I've worked with a lot of physical therapists in my walk just because of the nature of the companies that I worked with. So we worked a lot in differential diagnosis for low back pain and sacroiliac joint disease. So um, but I can I can understand. I used to have a, a spine surgeon that I worked with in Alabama and he would say he was like he goes. I'm going to tell you my diagnosis. I, I use it, you know, dozens of times a day for people that want to and, and want that quick fix, right? Come in with low back pain, and he would say just re- reproducibly, or continuously, you know, lose weight, quit smoking. That was that was what he said all the time: <laughs> lose weight, quit smoking. And you can imagine the patient population, and you know, in some, you know, in, in a lot of parts of the U.S., but in certain parts of the southern U.S. You know, um, unfortunately, you know, you see that, but that that was his mantra before he would ever operate on somebody. And and I have my beliefs that metabolic health, um, and you know, aligning incentives, and I believe Bitcoin can be a part of that um, to create a, a better health output. And you you talk about disease care in the U.S. In some circles, we um, we would call it sick care, or do call it sick care. Um, and a lot of that, you know, you go back to the the origins of of the US hospital system and the healthcare system, you know, we can find a lot of a lot of this, you know, in, in the early seed stages, if you will, of the US healthcare system that have gotten us to this point.
0: Yeah, I think so. Two things kind of came to, to mind there. Uh, I often used to diagnose low back and knee pain patients with sitting itis. <laughs> because at least you can actually bring to light the co- the root cause of where a lot of it comes from in terms of the musculoskeletal problems. And even people with messed up feet shoeitis, because at yeah. least they can understand that, right? It's like you have pain in your feet or your back caused by chairs and shoes fundamentally. Like there's obviously more variables at play, but, um, so I like that his diagnosis was lose weight, stop smoking, but it does highlight, I think, an important point, And I think feeds into this notion of, uh, you know, healthcare services and tools and products built on Bitcoin, this notion that probably most people who are smoking, and most people who are overweight, know that they should stop smoking, and that they should lose weight. Right? Yeah. Um, They know that they know that that's clearly what they should do. Smoking is clearly shitty for your health. And being overweight is clearly very harmful long term. What people don't have is the clarity of how to do that, right? Like we're told do this take responsibility for your health and i think the word responsibility broke breaks down into response able are you actually able to respond to whatever challenge you're facing and the fundamental problem is that doctors will stare patients dead in the face and say you need to lose weight but they will not do anything to actually help them understand how to do that right they don't have the time it's not what their service is built around and i think that's super unfair and kind of shitty and it's not the doc's fault it's not the patient's fault it's just the fault of the shitty system that's designed around I get paid to tell you your problem but i don't actually know how to solve it because i'm not trained to do that and i don't have time to help you with that and i don't have anyone i can point you to to help you navigate that and i think for someone who is 300 pounds overweight smoking doesn't actually understand anything about how to improve their health and maybe he thinks of health as this end state where it's like they're not overweight they're fit they feel good like that is so far from their current reality that they're like I don't even know if that's attainable and I don't have anyone that's really helping me navigate there. And I think the opening that this creates is this idea that people are overwhelmed with information and they're absolutely starving for clarity right. and and direction. And I think this whole notion that Bitcoin, this peer-to-peer money is designed perfectly to be layered into a peer-to-peer network of people offering services that help others, individuals Navigate the journey to better health, right? Like this person who's 350 50 pounds is like, kind of like staring at Mount Everest. They're like, that's a giant mountain. I want to get there. I'm motivated. I don't know where to go. I, I'm just like so lost that I won't even start. But if you had someone that said, hey, I've traveled Mount Everest multiple times. I accept peer-to-peer money. I will help you navigate this. I can't do it for you. I'm not going to carry you up there, but I am going to make sure that, you know, okay, there's a thousand, thousand steps to get up there what's your first step? I'm going to ask you the right questions that you figure out what your first step is. And you can pay me for my time based on what it's worth. And I think it's the notion that we go from offshoring responsibilities to the experts to solve our problems to now taking on the responsibility, but still requiring guidance and tools, including products to help us actually make it up that mountain. So yeah, I think it's, um, it's simple. The problems are often simple, but simple doesn't mean easy to solve, especially when there's no one really trained and in the world that's there to say, I'm going to help you get there. I'm not just going to tell you what the problem is with some fancy word or just simple trope of like, you know, exercise more, lose weight, stop smoking. I'm actually going to help you like determine, okay, well, here's someone you can go to, you can pay them for their time and they can actually help you create a plan to make it to the next spot. And then you can come back to me for follow-ups and see how you're doing. That's really a healthcare system, not a disease care system.
1: Right. Right, and it, it's kind of iterative, right? It builds on that process, and you know, we've talked about in in many circles here in the states. Nick, is okay. Does that begin with you know a modified network of physicians that you know that create that personal responsibility, um, you know, process where you know, it, it largely in the U.S. healthcare system, the patient, I'll call the patient customer. Right, because we're talking about money, right? So patient customer has largely been removed from the cost of care and really being responsible for their own care, right? It's, it's like I've got to lean on, and and I know, you know, Canada has a socialized, um, you know, healthcare system, and and the U.S. Is, has largely been subsidized and, and socialized since the 1960s for certain segments, the infirmed and and the elderly. And while many would argue that those programs, and I'm talking about Medicare, Medicaid uh, specifically, have have created a, an, an umbrella for, for those patient populations, I think it's created a dependency, and I don't think, I know it's created a dependency, that people must rely on others and, and, and systems in place to take care of them. And, and that's not what Medicare was set up to do um frankly and and it's become this you know this 4.3 trillion dollar you know behemoth now current day that really never should have so you take the patient further away from knowing what the true cost of healthcare the financial cost and take them further away from being solely and individually responsible for their personal health then you have the current system that we see and why I don't believe it's just you know a national issue. I think it is a true pandemic um, of, of massive proportions. And you know we we can spend all you know a lot of time in in the U.S. healthcare system, you know, fighting these these things in terms that we can throw dollars at that can fix a problem. When really it starts with behavior around metabolic health, um, and it and it revolves around creating what I believe can be through Bitcoin, a true marketplace for health products and services that are actually beneficial to to helping patients in the way you just described a moment ago.
0: Agreed. I think there's so much potential and even just the notion of a, you know, maybe centralized, maybe decentralized um, marketplace for services and products that are, there's a feedback loop built in so that there's a reputational element Yep. Um, you know, this whole this whole idea, I often, you know, in working for, you know, various healthcare companies, um, or health education companies more so, I've sort of imbued a lot of my sort of bitcoin studies into the terminology that I use to talk about with, you know, the people I'm working with. And the foot collective, this um, health network focused on feet, it's a global health network, they're mainly education based and they sell some tools. And they do events and they bring people together to, to make the journey actually playful, which is kind of cool. But we've had these conversations where we're, they built a pro network of people who take the same mindset and approach to empower people to understand their body so that they can take better care of themselves. And those are actually pretty rare. Right. And so we created this pro program and we're like, how do we actually vet people? Because I think we've gotten to this weird place where having a degree is kind of like proof of stake. Whereas having healthy feet, we're talking about just foot health is proof of work, right? So it's like, how do we vet people who have healthy feet without giving a shit about whatever degree or certifications they have? Because a lot of people that are heavily certified and are really broken down and don't even know how to take care of themselves. And yet there's a lot of people with no certifications who are doing the work every day and have really great health and have the proof of work to show like their health is proof of work. So what we came up with were these tenants where there were these general principles that doesn't tell people how to treat and make sure that they align on our base philosophy. And one of them is education is my t- primary tool to empower my patients. And so you create this kind of selection criteria where the right people gravitate towards this um, this ethos, this community, and you create a global directory to make sure that we can send people to the right people who we've done some vetting, right. Who have agreed that they align with the tenants. Anyone who wants to see a TFC pro can read the tenants and be like, yeah, those are the kind of people I want to go see. And I don't care if they're a podiatrist or a personal trainer or a physio or whatever, if they align with those tenants and they actually can help me, um, then I want to talk to them. And this whole idea that the degree system initially was to make sure someone had the ability to do the thing that you're going to see them to do. Right. Like if I go see a dentist, I really want that dentist to have a degree in dentistry so that it's not just some dude with a drill claiming he can fix my teeth. Um, So there is there is a purpose there. But what happens when we get so far off track that what physicians are learning ends up being basically they're like glorified drug reps now based on their education. I have friends that graduated from medical school and they're like, we learn more about drugs and what drugs to give and not to give with other drugs than we do about anything related to lifestyle and actual true health. So what happens when The people who are all degreed up no longer have the ability to actually help someone navigate their health and are so hyper focused and hyper trained on disease care that they can't even see beyond that scope. And actually, their incentive in terms of financially is to treat disease. And they have a disincentive to go outside of that lane because they might get punished or sued or whatever it is. Right. So, so we've just created this pigeonhole where people with all the fancy degrees have these golden handcuffs, where they have all this time and money invested into learning the wrong shit. And now people need help and we need a way to connect the people who understand health, have the proof of work to show that they actually have good health to connect with and help the people who need help navigating the journey to health and a way to put everyone in the same ecosystem saying, you know, we accept Bitcoin for payment and we're willing to pay sats and we just want to talk to the best people. How do we determine who the best people are? And that's, I think, fundamentally, you know, people have to be given the right education to learn, but then they have to be connected with people who can guide them along that path. And I think that's literally a whole new realm of possibility that hasn't been explored and has so much untapped potential that it really is exciting to be able to build a, a marketplace of products and services related to health with Bitcoin that yeah. is global and is based on reputation and ability, not degree. So rant over. Sorry.
1: Oh, I go. love it. No, it's, it's the litigation piece, especially in the U S healthcare system. I mean, physicians, let's just talk about primary care physicians that that's the deal, right? I mean, there's, there's a litigation piece. If they stray too far from the path uh, from published medicine right that there's going to be some kind of ramification i mean um there are you know holistic um you know wellness physicians who have seen that um seen the light and and are more uh prescriptive relative to patient uh you know dealing with patient issues and in in disease from more of uh you know uh call it homeopathic or or you know, natural way of healing. And and those people largely have been ostracized by the main the mainstream medical community. That's changing though. And as I think as people become more informed and um better you know equipped to assess maybe what's at least broadly wrong with them or or appears to be an issue with their personal health care, they can now, you know, hopefully, you know, find physicians that and clinicians that are um, more suited to thinking more broadly than just what medicine can I prescribe. And, you know, I think about things, man, I think about things like direct primary care. And the value of creating, you know, physicians used to make house calls in, in the U.S. back in the day. I mean, I was young enough as just a tiny kid remembering um, our primary care doc making an, making a house call. There are services that are doing that again today. And the way they're able to do that is they accept, they have a a finite number of patients that pay cash. Now, what if you had a a network of of physicians, of direct pay primary care physicians that accept Satoshi's, right? And by the way, there are some out there. You know, it started like if you query in the US, there's plastic surgeons, um, there's dentists. There's some primary care docs in select markets that accept Bitcoin as payment um, because they've arrived either through their own practice uh, from a healthcare standpoint or the financial system. They've arrived that they've aligned with the, the things that we're talking about right now. And I mean, that's exciting. And so I think the opportunity is to make it easier for those clinicians to accept Bitcoin as payment and then providing the 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 POS or the wallet infrastructure to them where it's it's as seamless as accepting you know US dollars as an example and and that's that really is exciting to me because when somebody gets it that's one more person that's one more physician that mm-hmm. is willing to you know accept Bitcoin as payment and most likely, they subscribe to the very things that you and I are discussing from a clinical standpoint, personal responsibility, responsibility of personal health, and then making, um, you know, and and suggesting um, treatment pathways that align with with that philosophy as well.
0: Agreed. And Bitcoin is perfectly suited for that. It's literally built for that. Um, yep. And I just think there's so much bloat. Like I had done a podcast with Dr. Jack Cruz. And I did one with Andy Schooner from crowd health too, which I think is, or no, he's, I don't know if he's based in Nashville, or if he's based in Austin, it might be Austin.
1: He's in Austin. Uh, Andy's in Austin. Yeah. Great guy. Great company. I'm super, yeah. super fan of what they're doing.
0: Yeah. Super innovative and in how they're yeah. going about that. And I love seeing all these little seeds pop up of different ways of thinking about yeah. what does healthcare mean? How can we actually do this? Yeah. Um, and you know, this notion that there's so many people, okay. You have patient is very similar to money actually in terms of the intermediaries and how much they suck out of the system they suck value out and just rent seek you have the patient who wants some sort of treatment you have the professional who can provide said treatment there's all these intermediaries along the way making it so that the patient is now disconnected from the provider apart from the actual provision of the service like the actual path of payment and cost they're completely disconnected what the patient pays what the doctor receives are such Fundamentally different numbers that you could eliminate 75% of the price, get rid of all the bloat, all the middlemen, all the bureaucrats, all the companies that are rent-seeking, the patient can pay less and the doctor can receive more. Now, if I haven't seen a bigger, you know, discrepancy that is rife for creative destruction and obliteration of all this inefficiency, it's health and it's medicine. And I think there's always going to be a need for medicine. There's always going to be a need for providers, I think the nature of how providers get, offer value needs to change, right? They're no longer there to give answers and just treat disease and, you know, get paid per treatment. You know, I remember a patient of mine told me this and I'm not sure, I haven't really, it's kind of hard to find out if this is true. And I'm so far back that I don't even know, but I think it's still a cool story to illustrate incentives. In China, back in the day, doctors used to get paid. They would used to have a caseload. So they would have a thousand patients under their care they would get paid. Um, if they had to see the patients frequently, they would get paid less. Yeah. If they didn't need to see the patients very much, they would get paid more. And that was a beautiful alignment of incentives because the better doctor you are, the less shit people have that are problems and they need to come see you for. And just this notion that, okay, if you take a patient under your wing and or under your caseload, and they pay you a certain amount per year, and you don't actually have to see them very much because you're giving them so much good information and resources and plugging them into a network of providers you trust that they don't have any problems. You should get paid that amount regardless. And the better you are at your job, the less time you have to allocate to that patient because the healthier they are. So you get paid based on your patient's health. Whereas if you're not doing a good job as a doctor, and you get a fixed amount from that patient, you're gonna see them a ton. They're gonna to take a ton of your time and energy. And it's essentially you're disincentivized to, to just treat people. You're incentivized to help them be healthy so that you don't have to see them as much. And I think this, we've just lost this alignment of incentives and I really think Bitcoin can bring them back um, because you know the person who has to see a patient once empowers them with the right resources and a clear path to get better. And maybe they see them once a month, can actually charge a lot because they're actually delivering value to improve that person's health. Whereas right now, like in the in the world that I was in, in physio, it's like the deepest of the deep fiat incentives, right? Where like literally you're disincentivized to help people take care of themselves. You're incentivized to make them 100% completely dependent on you and coming to see you. Because every time they see you, you get paid. If they don't come see you, you don't get paid. Yeah. So yeah. so it really is just this giant disconnect in incentives. And I think Bitcoin can actually bring it back by establishing an actual free market for health Dude. services and allowing the most effective providers to be able to charge the most for their time, right. because they can show that they can help people the most, right? Like someone can charge $1,000 a month if they're actually really good at what they do, because people will keep paying that person. Whereas if you're if you're just charging to treat people, People are going to move away from that. Like you said, the better informed people become the, the more they recalibrate their expectations of what kind of person they want to go see as a resource. And it's probably not going to be the person who just tells them the high time preference thing that doesn't fix anything. So it's, I really think it's just a, it's a personal choice to accept personal responsibility for understanding how your body works, which then allows you to make more educated choices about which people you go see and for what issues and at yeah. what points and it's the same thing with money right the choice to accept personal responsibility for understanding money allows you to make better choices in terms of what money you choose to save your time in and how you and how you use money in the world and i think there you know one will play off the other and uh, not only will bitcoin i think usher in this new era of health but it actually provides the best tool for us to build healthcare 2.0 businesses and services on top of and I, i'm very excited to see what what comes up
1: Yeah, what you so well laid out, what you described there, the the Chinese example is a value based care model versus fee for service. So like in the US, we've we've been trying to undergo this change from fee for service, meaning the more tests, the more surgeries, the more meds prescribed, um, the more diagnoses, the better. And both physician and facility would get paid more the more they prescribed all those things. Right in a value based care model it's actually decreased quantity of care Increased quality of care yields a better out, output and then thus the the facility let's call it the hospital and the physician would get paid they would be, get paid more according to the value they brought to the episode of care if that makes sense so it's it's, sense. it's completely where it needs to go we think about value based care well that says bitcoin to me you got all these these U.S. healthcare you know execs and and experts say, well, we're going to a value based care system. I'm like, well, okay, let let's see it in action. And what they don't really understand, Nick, and this is the truth, that for all of this to really work means that you know three fourths of the people that are trying to help and fix healthcare from an administrative standpoint are not going to have a job. <laughs> yeah. They're going to be without a job. And so yeah. I was on a panel. This was this was this was kind of during my blockchain for health. Um, you know, uh, educational process. When I was ignorant, I didn't know what I didn't know, but I I did know this is that I w- we were t- we were at a healthcare conference. I said, "Is everybody in this room willing to give up their job in healthcare if all this is really going to work from a decentralized health standpoint?" Right, that's what we were talking about, and everybody looked at me. Well, what do you mean? I'm <laughs> I'm a part of this solution because you know I, because I should be, and and so it's it is it's one of these things that for all of this to exist. Healthcare as an industry, as a capitalized industry, especially in the U.S., will look a lot differently. Um, and the value really will find the providers who help patients actually improve health. And the, the goal, by the way, as a as kind of an epilogue to that discussion, is the goal is to use healthcare less, not more. It's to use it less because by by proxy... Sick we would care all... less.
0: We could say, let's use sick care because I think in that context, we we should strive to use sick care less, which means we have to be more creative in our provision of health care. Yes. The primary channel of which is education.
1: Well, and if, if you know, let's just call it well over 50%, let's just call it 60 to 70% of all health costs in the U.S. at least are metabolic related, right? Um all of that fixes itself. If people really make the decision to become more metabolically healthy, some folks yeah. can't because either because of genetic predisposition um, or their circumstances or situations that, you know, they're that, so
0: rare though. They're so yeah. rare.
1: It's the lion's share. And I, I I offer that caveat because I am sensitive to, there is a, there's a certain patient population that that would cover, but the lion's share have the, have the ability to be a better version of themselves. They just don't know it. And they it's through this educational process and this, this uh, patient sovereignty um, that that all of that is possible. And it, you know, we call it disintermediating healthcare because of, you know, like you've got the provider, you've got the patient so far from the provider in terms of the costs. Um and and things like prescription drugs, you have pharmacy benefit managers in the US that add to the layers of cost of of what a, a you know uh, a prescription drug and i'm not a huge fan um but when it is necessary it's it's way out of whack in terms of of the cost um do i have the ability to share something do we do yeah
0: we do? i uh, when you mentioned it before i went to screen share and you should be able to so there we go
1: okay can you see this i can okay i'm going to play something for you watch so this is really this is so to set the stage this is an infographic from that shows the cost of U.S. healthcare from 1960 to 1921, and this comes from CMS. And I can we can add this in the show notes so people can play with this. But I want you, we'll we'll play it a couple of times. It takes about 15 seconds. Look at the orange, which uh, it's interestingly the out-of-pocket cost in this infographic is denoted in the color of orange. So we have these subjects or these categories of hospital care. Physician and clinical services, prescription drugs, nursing care facilities, and, and so on. People can, you know, can kind of analyze this, but I'm going to hit play on this, Nick, and watch what happens to the orange sections of the infographic in all of these categories from 1960 to 1921 by year. Can you see the movement?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shifting away from orange and towards green, which is Medicare, Medicaid
1: or private insurance, which or private is kind insurance. Of that, dark, you know, that red color. Keep watching. Now we're in the 80s.
0: So we're still, I mean, yeah. Out of pocket is getting squeezed
1: hard now. So people would say, well, Stuart, the out of pocket costs are going down. Isn't that great? Well, look what yeah, the- well, total Also, cost. if you look
0: at the total spending, it's insane. This is a cool graphic. It's very,
1: very illustrative. Exactly, and so the cost of care has gone up, and the individual has become exposed to that cost. Yeah,
0: 1960. I think it said like 26 billion, and now when it gets to 2021, it says 300, 3,553 billion. So it really. It's in the this trillion, is a very, yeah,
1: 3.5 three, yes. three yeah, trillion. And it's now 4.3 trillion since, since 2021. So yeah, I'll yeah. put
0: this in the show notes for, sir. If you can uh, message me this on, um, send me the link on X, I'll yeah. put this in the show notes because it is very illustrative and allows you to kind of toggle through the years and you can see over time, just the amount of people paying out of pocket sharply declines, private insurance, Medicare, Medicaid sharply inclines and the total spending just goes exponential where it's like hardly even recognizable on the same freaking galaxy.
1: Okay. So we can imagine the cost of care in these categories increasing on a, on a line graph, right? Like just, you can, you can visualize that. Let me share something else real quick um, to kind of pull this all into context. So what I'm going to share with you now is I don't know if you can appreciate that now. Um, yep, and it. I'll, I'll, I can, I'll share this too. This is a line graph in those same categories, Nick. From night from 2014 to 2020. Okay. So seven complete years, the cost of us healthcare denominated in Bitcoin. And I'll clean <laughs> this up. Look at that.
0: That's insane. And, yeah. And we can, there's a bunch of lines and they all converge to basically the base. Uh, what is that? The X axis. Denominator in Bitcoin.
1: Wow. Yes. So we know this, right? We can take this graph and 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 place this on any industry and cost, but this is what's available. And this is over a seven year period. And granted, we've we've had Bitcoin for what, 14, 15 years. Um, and so the impact, you know, impact on the US healthcare system, obviously in that time frame is is significant. But what, what would that look like, you know, adding another 10 years from now? It's going to precipitously continue to decline in cost denominated in in Bitcoin. And I just think that that's, you know, I think about this every day. And so when I I wrote my master's thesis on a new health economy, I was really writing it around all the, the topics that we're discussing today. I just didn't write it back then in Bitcoin. I thought we had to create some new tokenized health economy because I didn't know. Um, that you know, I didn't think through it enough from from a financial standpoint. I knew well, you were the-
0: kind of right. It's just the token is Satoshi's, like That's you just right. didn't have the token yet.
1: <laughs> I didn't have the right token. That's right. I didn't have the right asset because I didn't understand the economics of Bitcoin. And so now I do. And you know, I'm I'm thinking through things in terms of like Andy at Crowd Health. You know, Andy is is created kind of this subset in terms of the contributions that, that the members can pay on a monthly basis at Crowd Health. Uh, that part of that savings can be done in Bitcoin, and and they're working on a way, you know, where people can hold that in their own, you know, cold storage. So it's 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 truly sovereign from that standpoint. I think there's some additional things that we can do, uh, not just in the U.S., but as people think about saving for health expenses, there's a huge opportunity there. Um, and then the thing I want to kind of talk more about is the spending piece, right? So there's this battle in terms of saving, you know, Bitcoin. Um, and not spending it necessarily on things that you know that aren't in a lower time preference. so how do how do we need to think about moving forward on spending Satoshi's for everyday health expenses um, and, and kind of what that balance looks like because I think everyone well they're sitting here ta- listening to us probably and they're saying, well, that's great, but I really don't want to spend my Bitcoin if I don't have to. Um, and so it's that, it's that determination of value, right? Is there anything more valuable than our personal health? Yeah. Um, probably it's, it's right up there, right? It's, it's, it's one of the top, you know, you know, two, I would say two or three. Um, but, you know, wrestling with those two use cases and how we think about spending Satoshi's, um, at the appropriate time for health, right? Because in this country, in the U S we have what's called a health savings account and so you can put pre-tax dollars into that account either through your, your employer's health plan or if you want to have an open HSA on the market you can you can still have those same tax benefits um but when you retire Nick in the, in the states in the US the HSA becomes like an IRA you can use those expenses for anything it becomes an IRA um at that point and and so People, I think, struggle, do you spend out of your HSA, you know, through your working lifetime, or if you can avoid it, do you try to cash flow healthcare expenses, knowing that the value of that, of that HSA um, will increase over time if, if left untouched, if that makes sense?
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And I think, you know, you sent me um, a graphic of something in our DMs about an HSA denominated in Bitcoin. And yeah. you know Andy, uh, when I did the podcast with him, I did it a while ago, probably like a year, maybe even two years ago. So it was very yeah. early in his journey with crowd health and I'm sure things have evolved. Yeah. Um, but this notion that when you put, when you create a savings account for your health, so you put money away each month that goes into an account, mm-hmm. it actually buys Bitcoin and turns into a Bitcoin savings account. Mm-hmm knowing that that Bitcoin, those Satoshis will be worth more in future than they are right now, your incentive is to not spend them. Right. And that is just this beautiful incentive structure in and of itself, because all of a sudden, you have this underlying incentive to get healthy, because the healthier you are, regardless of feeling better, like, you know, people say health matters. It's like, yeah, I don't care what you say, I care what you do. And the sad reality is that health only starts to matter when you have a catastrophic health problem. Right. Then it really matters. Um, and you know, even behind that, I've been really reevaluating what it means to be wealthy. Like my, basically the the line of work I'm moving into the, into the new year in 2024 is, as a Bitcoin consultant and actually a wealth consultant, which is Bitcoin and health, because I think, you know, I often see rich people who have sacrificed their health to get fiat dollars. Right. So being rich means having a lot of fiat, but I also see, and have come across in my life, wealthy people who may not have as much money, but they have health and meaning and purpose, and they're happy. And I want to be wealthy. I don't want, I don't want to be rich. And so this notion of, you know, time is the most valuable thing. I think money is the tool we use to store our time, but time is goes from being a valuable, scarce desire, desirable thing. If you're healthy, to being a burden if you're diseased. Like if you're a real disease and not having a good time, time is a burden. So time is only valuable with health and you can only take advantage of your long-term wealth saved up if you actually have your health. So I think health, it's like Bitcoiners are gonna be the people who can afford to work on their health either by, by spending time themselves understanding it or actually paying for services. So I think there's like this deep interconnection there. But this yeah. notion that if you put money in an account, that's for health services, the longer, the, the less you spend out of that, the more it becomes worth over time, you're automatically getting paid to be healthy through Bitcoin's long term appreciation. So I think that's a beautiful alignment of incentives. And, you know, back to this notion of spending uh, our sats, because for the most of my life, you know, I got a patient told me about Bitcoin in 2015. Unfortunately, I didn't stack like a savage for a long time. And it's kind of been the slow drip of learning and, you yeah. know, shifting over my wealth. And I'm, I don't have a giant stack, but I try and mitigate my fiat exposure by saving in Bitcoin. Um, but you know, for the most of that time, most of the time I've been in Bitcoin, I have not spent a Satoshi because I was like, well, this is going to be worth 10 times more in five more years. Why would I ever spend any of this? But at a certain point, you realize that for Bitcoin to actually succeed at what we want it to succeed at, we need to spend our Satoshis. We need to earn Satoshis and spend satoshis and when you earn sats, it's much easier to spend sats because now you have a replenishment, right? And this is really, I've become in the past year, I've become a lot more open to spending sats and I've been spending a lot more sats knowing that, yeah, they would have been wor- worth more in a couple of years. Um, but guess what? I bought you know this little, this white paper uh, art from a girl in Argentina yeah. who is getting crushed by inflation. I paid her 250,000 sats, which is probably gonna be worth a lot of money for her one day. Yeah. Um, and I feel good about spending those Sats because I know that it's helping her live a better life. I found value in it. At the time it was like 130 Canadian bucks. Now it's going to be way more. And so I think, I think that what I've noticed is I'm way more careful with where I spend my monetary energy, but I am no longer hesitant to spending sats. And I think at the end of the day, if you have, if you're struggling with your health and you realize there's a group of people who are interested in helping me navigate my health process, who are really good at what they do because i heard about them from a friend of mine who had really great success mm-hmm. and they're willing to work with me but they only accept satoshis yes yeah. i will be much more willing there might be a lot of fiat world pain and disease care to force me to a point where i'm willing to part with my Sats, but eventually you know the idea that fiat induces exponentially more pain disease care induces exponentially more pain all roads lead to bitcoin yeah. and eventually the best Uh, The smartest and best providers in health will eventually only accept, I mean, their time and energy is worth a lot. And if they have an understanding of what they're worth, they're not going to accept some shit coin, AKA Canadian dollars, US dollars that takes no energy to create in exchange for their services. And so I think, you know, this might be far down the road, but eventually the most effective healthcare practitioners will only accept a form of money that reflects the value of their time. And, Bitcoiners who were curious initially will eventually be willing to part with their sats to actually get help, real help. So that's my theory.
1: No, it's you know, the connect connectivity of the physical world and the digital world through proof of work and and, you know is I think is really the crux of this. You, You know, it's like robbing the monetary energy of all of us. You know, it's what Saylor said, I think so well, you know, a couple of years ago. It's 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 working for a currency that's worth less and less over time. And you're like, most people go around, they do not assign a value other than their salary or their total compensation to like what they assign that to what they did, right? But they don't think about the really what that value and that time represents relative to a, to a deflationary or I'm sorry, an inflationary shitcoin like you said US dollars or or Canadian dollars nobody thinks about that they th- or they think they can out earn you know um that delta and we've seen certainly over the last few years with number you know numerous examples of you know listen you have to think you have to think of how bitcoin can serve in a deflationary way and i too I think about well the value that i bring you know for a for a compensation that continues to de- be debased, and and spending power continues to decline, th- you do get to a point you're like, well, I'm earning this, I'm earning a new form of monetary energy in Bitcoin. At some point, I've got to be willing to spend it on something that I deem of equal or greater value yeah. than the than the sweat equity and work that went into earn it or be able to and at least, you know, for me at this point, for the most part, to be able to uh, acquire it or buy it or or mine it. And, and it, it is it's it is a fascinating kind of like a separate wormhole or rabbit hole to really think about, you know, why and how should I let go of Bitcoin? And when you when you think about it in those terms, you're like, well, for my health, And for a service that a physician would provide to benefit me, absolutely, absolutely, you would, you know. But it takes a hive mind to like think think of it in those terms, and it will happen. Um, It'll it'll happen in the U.S. at some point. Um, And honestly, that's what I'm. That's what my passion is: is try to is trying to create a new thought process around you know, the, a marketplace around health and health services. And I believe, honestly, Nick, that one of the best ways to do it, and we can talk more about this, um, you know, in a separate conversation is, is to create a fee schedule menu denominated in Satoshi's. Like at every provider that, that at least gets Bitcoin. It's like, okay, here's our, cause there are a lot of places now that do accept cash for service. I broke my... I tell, I tell the story all the time. I I broke my left foot a, about a year ago, chasing my daughter around in the living room. I hit the ottoman, right? Completely crushed the two, the last two toes of my left foot. I knew they were broken, right? 18 hours later, my whole foot's blue. So if I'd gone to the emergency room, um, that probably would have been a $2,000 expense, give or take. I found an outpatient um, imaging clinic that did two x-rays. The images were read by an orthopedist. Uh, I was put in a boot out the door. What do you think that experience cost me out of pocket?
0: Fraction of a couple thousand dollars.
1: $325. Yep. Okay. I asked during that, when I checked in for that exam and that x-ray, I said, do you have a cash pay fee schedule? The woman whips it out. She said, yes, we do. Up to two, uh, one x-ray, it's this, up to two x-rays, it was that specific. Now, what if-
0: A sat pay if, schedule is even better.
1: What, what if your fee schedule was just denominated digitally in real time in Satoshi's? Yep. I'm not, I'm not forcing you to pay in Satoshi's. I've just provided you, it's like, okay, you can pay in dollars, or you can pay in this new monetary system called Bitcoin. And here's what it costs. And there's no pressure there may be a little education opportunity there at the point of sale, but just offering the option in a very digestible format, easy to transact, and people can decide as they become more knowledgeable about Bitcoin. And it it has to happen from the provider side, and it has to happen from the patient customer side. And that's one easy way to do it. Just offer your cash pay menu of services and your denominated currency reserve currency and also Satoshi's and then let the market happen so yeah. like if I had been presented as an example with that x-ray and that that boot uh for my experience I would have thought man, well maybe I can just pull up my you know my wallet and I could have just scanned and paid in in sats and what if
0: they said what if they said this it's gonna be 325 bucks if you pay yep. us in cash yep we'll charge you 250 equivalent U.S dollars in sats So this is where it gets real interesting, because if the provider understands the value of a Satoshi, and there's obviously a lot that goes into that, right? Like there's, you cannot cheat the path of learning, path of studying Bitcoin. So it takes time. But I think if you do it properly, and this is sort of my work as a Bitcoin consultant, is helping people navigate the path of understanding Bitcoin so that they really understand the why and actually have an appreciation for what those sats are worth. And back where you were saying before, like no one actually wants sats. No one actually wants pieces of paper. What we really want is what those SATs or pieces of paper will eventually allow us to acquire. And so it just makes sense that, yes, this is the sequential nature of the adoption of a new monetary tool. It starts off as a store of value, then it goes to medium of exchange, then it goes to unit of account. This is like, there's kind of like steps that we need to follow for human minds to change and really like actually accept this change as it happens. But, you know the people who got in early and used it as store of value, like Laszlo Hyins, who bought two pizzas for ten thousand Sats, was already at the stage of of using a medium of exchange, and he paid ten thousand Bitcoin right. for two pizzas. So, so we all are on that spectrum, and we're all eventually going to part with our Sats, right? Unless we want to die with them and donate them to the world, that's fine too. But at the end of the day, what we really want is what those Sats will acquire us. If we deeply understand Bitcoin, that it's going up forever relative to everything else, because it's the only truly scarce thing. There's never a good time to spend your Sats if you're just looking at it from a store value perspective. Yes. I have a friend in, Cro- in Croatia, Pavao, who lives on a Bitcoin standard, so he actually doesn't hold any fiat. So his perspective is totally different. He's like, I don't have the choice to not spend Sats. This is how I denominate my life, and so yeah. I'm very careful with where I spend my Sats and when Bitcoin goes through these big spikes i prepay things in advance i book trips i prepay my rent i do all these things and i get discounts for doing that right i pay my rent a year in advance they give me a couple months free because i just paid them a shitload of money all at once and so it saves me money so when the price of bitcoin is high he kind of aligns his life with the ebbs and flows of bitcoin when bitcoin is low he's earning more sats per unit of time that he's working if he's denominating his income in, in what he's charging in fiat, but he receives in a Bitcoin. And when Bitcoin is really high, he's earning less, but he's spending more. And so he's just automatically harmonizing his life with Bitcoin. It's this really cool perspective that seems hardcore, but I'm more appreciative of it now. Yep. But this notion that what if providers, like a sur- you go to a surgeon, he says, I'll do the surgery for $2,000 if you pay me cash. If you pay me credit card, it's 3,000. If you pay me cash, it's 2,000. If you pay me Bitcoin, it's 1,200. Even if the person doesn't know Bitcoin, never heard of it. That is a pretty powerful touch point coming from a physician who is an authority that you respect with your life. Therefore, you're probably going to trust that they know some shit, some good stuff. Right. Um, And even if they don't pay in Bitcoin, even if they're like, yeah, I'll do the cash. I don't have Bitcoin. I don't know yet. It's a pretty damn good touch point for them to be like, I should probably learn about Bitcoin because I would have saved 800 bucks if I actually knew what it was and paid in Bitcoin. And why does this doctor want Bitcoin so bad? You know, like the touch point involved in that with providers saying they're going to not only accept SATS, but preferentially accept it by giving discounts, that's a really powerful element of this whole game theory structure. And, you know, like I said, the eventual road is when people actually realize, when when the healthcare providers realize how worthless the fiat money is, what if they just don't accept it or they say, yeah, if you want to pay me a fiat, it's 10 times the price. You know, like it gets real squirrely. And even the consulting firm I work for, yeah, they had this interesting approach where they're like, okay, we're gonna pick an hourly rate and we're gonna peg it at a certain date in SATs. So it was uh, the consulting firm's called Finney 21. And they were established at block 801-408, which is this past year. Yep. And when they, were, when they determined their fee rate, they said, we're gonna peg it at 121 US dollars an hour, which at the time was 420,000 SATs. They're like, we're just gonna peg it at that. And over yep. time, as fiat crumbles and there's more demand for our services, our services will become more expensive in fiat terms. Now the problem with that is that Bitcoin does its thing so effectively that it becomes goofy and unreasonable how expensive that gets right when denominated in fiat. So it has to be adjusted. So what we what we might do is discount our services 21% every single year, and we're still going to end up charging way more over time. That's how crazy it is. But yeah. I think this notion that providers start accepting sats it gives touch points to every patient they see regardless whether the patient pays that or not and eventually when people are earning sats they become a lot more willing to spend sats because there's a replenishment in their savings account instead of having to go buy more bitcoin with fiat at a diminishing rate they're receiving bitcoin their flow therefore the inflow can be matched by an outflow of them spending more sats into their local economy buying you know, goods and services themselves in sats because they're generating them. So I think it's really just a, education is a limiting step mm-hmm. to adoption. As people adopt it more, they start to dig deeper into, you know, where your money goes, your mind goes, right? As pe- people accumulate a bit of sats, and then they're like, oh, I'm gonna learn more about this. And then, they, and then there's almost always an inflection point where they realize the depths of fiat theft, where they're like, I need to get out of fiat. I don't even want to earn fiat anymore. I need to tell everyone that I'm accepting sats and then it becomes sort of this mushroom, but I think the health world is the perfect one for this because health is very valuable yeah. health is in need of a peer to peer, uh, framework and global peer to peer money that doesn't get debased uh, is the perfect fit for this. And so, yeah, I'm, um, it just gets me super stoked to just yeah, even what... like air out these concepts.
1: Oh, it's 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 awesome, man! I'm so this is this is this is so much fun to do with you. So, what you said it's it caused me to think about kind of the the all the sides of a monetary transaction, right? And so, in U.S. dollar terms, we we assign value to U.S. dollars, yes, because we can spend them and receive some good or service in exchange. But the equation really is completed because we earn in U.S. dollars. And I've never really thought about the, the impact that earning sats, you know, coupling that with the rest of the equation, which is then spending, spending it for some uh, value in return. I think the, 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 the model is fulfilled when you actually earn sats To feel better about spending because intuitively in your mind, it's like, wait a minute, I'm spending something, but I didn't earn it. I had to exchange it from what I earned. And now there's this there's this exchange process that happens and I have to do this calculation. Is it a good time? But if you if you earn in Bitcoin, then the equation is complete. And if that makes sense, like maybe you can't get there feeling good about spending it, um, maybe outside of something that's life changing or life saving right now for a lot of people without this earning piece to it, Um, which is really interesting to think about. Uh, Because earning it
0: completes the loop of actually acknowledging it as a true medium of exchange. Yes, And it brings you, it like moves you beyond the phase of store of value, which is I save in Bitcoin, but I'm saving for the future. And I still have, I still mostly live in the fiat world in my day-to-day life Right. to, well, now I'm receiving it as payment. Therefore that is indisputable truth that It has affected me as a medium of exchange in my life and I cannot unsee that. And now that sats are coming in, I'm way more open to sats going out because I'm not decreasing the amount of sats I have by spending it. Right. And I, for me, this happened firsthand where it was like, it went from a novelty spend right, to now, if I generate sats, people pay me sats for services. I want to then do my part as a steward of Bitcoin, as someone who's trying to propagate Bitcoin as a medium of exchange and actually replace currency with right. actual money um well,
1: it, it diminishes this whole thing about hoarding right that's that's yeah. kind of one of the the choke points a lot of a lot of uh talking heads in the bitcoin space was like well this is a store of value and you know i'm never going to part with it i'm going to keep stacking i'm never going to part with it i might lend against it right as these lending platforms you know become a little more mainstream but i'm never going to sell it and i think that that is you know in the context of health you know, that to me is a value. I heard Lynn Alden talk about this in the last few days on on another podcast. She would say, someone asked her, well, when would you part with with your Bitcoin? And her response was when whatever I decided to spend it on had an, had an equal or greater value. I'm paraphrasing um, on, on what I, on the Bitcoin. Um,
0: One of the memes is I'll never sell my sats, but I'll spend them.
1: I'll spend them. That's right.
0: Which is kind of like an imperfect meme because... When you're spending, you are selling in exchange for something. But I think to, you know to complete that, it's like I will never sell my sats for fiat. I will never exchange right. a better asset for an inferior one. But I will spend my satoshis on. I will send them to a peer in exchange for a service or good that they provide me that I actually deem is valuable. And it's going to be voluntary. And that thing I buy with sats, like everything I've ever bought with sats. Yeah, they're really meaningful to me because I've made sure it was worth it. But also there's this deep meaning imbued in the fact that like I bought that thing with Satoshi's that took that I worked hard to earn, or I worked hard to save, therefore I value that thing way more versus you buy something on credit. You don't really give a shit about it. Cause technically you don't own it, right? You spent money from the future. You don't really own it. There's, you know, that thing owns you until you pay it off. In fact. So the things i bought for sats are one of the few things that i actually own versus the things i bought in credit in my life actually owned me until i paid them off so there's this weird energy dynamic my friend Pavau talks about this how uh, like when you buy things with money yep. from the past when you're spending money from the past which is spending from your savings you are acquiring things and you own those things when you're spending money from the future when you're spending credit Those things own you until you've finished paying them off. There's a fundamentally different energy dynamic. um, And I think there's even like some research to show that people who buy cars on with like giant credit loans don't take good care of their cars because they don't, they know they don't really own it. And they have probably a sense of resentment that they're working every day to pay for this thing. Whereas people who buy cars outright and they own them, they take real good care of them. So it's a weird, it's this interesting dynamic. And I felt that in my life. And I think when you start to spend sats and feel good about those sats being spent, despite the fact that that those pieces of paper behind me might be worth $50,000 Canadian dollars one day, I don't care because yeah. I feel good knowing that I supported another peer who is building on Bitcoin mm-hmm. to do her art. That thing has a lot of meaning for me and it will forever. And so yeah. I think there's like an in, it's like a, intangible that I've felt and that I don't think you can feel until you start spending sats, but I think everyone at a certain point starts to spend sats, they do it hierarchically on things that matter a lot to them. And I don't think there's anything that matters more than health. Although the caveat there is people only realize how much matters when it's gone. But once it's gone, and you've made a choice to like really take responsibility and ownership, you then the next step is, well, what tools and what individuals can I find to actually meaningfully help me navigate the process of health? If they're only accepting Bitcoin, I'm going to, I'm going to pay sats because I value my health. Now that I know what life is like without health, I have a much higher value placed on my health. And that's an important thing.
1: The, the, you know, paying cash for cars is you know something that we've subscribed to for a long time. And I think you're exactly right. It's like, you, you know, um, you're, you're more inclined to take better care of the things that you pay cash for, yeah. um, than you know, borrowing from the future. And again, we look at a macro, I mean, that's, that's the fractional reserve banking system, right? I mean, um, the entire world economy in most in large part is, is borrowed from the future to get to this point. And that's, that's why we're in this mess. That's why we're having this conversation. And then I think it does bleed over to healthcare, right? It's, it's, um, you know, does, you know, the cumulative effect of making poor health decisions on a daily basis? Well, in the moment you may not think, well, this isn't really, you know, this isn't really a a negative for my personal health, but over time that same behavior, negative behavior, as an example repeated day in and day out will have a cumulative effect and not to think so is naive. Right. And, and so it's, it's true with the monetary system. We, we just, we've never stopped and, and asked some of these tougher questions is, I, is it okay that I don't ask how much when I go to a, a primary care visit, I ask what my copay is in the United States? Um, is that okay? Or why is it that way? Um, is it okay in the fact that I really don't know what you know a, a visit to the doctor really costs or what an MRI, what the true cost of that MRI is after the device or, or the machine itself, the capital expense on that device has been paid for? Uh, well, years past, you know, um, um when when the hospital uh, fully paid for that machine i mean those are multi million yeah. dollar machines but at some point those machines are paid for and so then what is the actual cost to run an mri scan and that's why you're seeing so many in in, in certainly in the us market where you're seeing these imaging centers that have f- cash pay models because the consumer now knows that you know what i can get an mri of the spine of the lumbar spine for 350 400 I don't have to run that through an insurance program and pay out of pocket, you know, $1200 for that, right? Um so any it, it goes back to the connectivity. Again, I love the analogy of closing the loop of value thinking about it in satoshis of what the value of whatever it is is um is being uh, you know defined, right and realized in truth. Um and again, that all that forces you to think about the impact of the behavior um of what behaviors uh, have on our personal health uh it's not easy to do but it's simple when you yes. think through it. and that shit's free the so. Best
0: shit is free like i think yep. what i've experienced is the process of improving health is actually one that begins mostly as the process of unlearning unlearning yep. all the bullshit we've been fed that right. actually isn't true that complicates things to a point where we feel disempowered to even do anything yeah and I think with one of my favorite metaphors, again, with sort of plugging in the Bitcoin world into health is this notion that, you know, I typically don't like the word blockchain because people have just, you know, co-opted it. But I do like it in the context of your health is a blockchain of days strung together doing healthy habits. So if each day you stack a few healthy habits, small change, instead of buying a donut, eat a carrot. Like it can be the most, like, instead of scrolling for an extra 10 minutes, go for a two minute walk outside, incremental, tiny. The more of those you stack and the more you string together mm-hmm. each day, you did a healthy habit. It's like one block in your blockchain. Just keep stacking blocks, stack habits each day, small no. or big, string together your blockchain. Don't miss a block, right? Instead of a 10 minute interval, it's a 24 hour interval. Yeah. Put some healthy habits in each block, TikTok talk next block, put some effort into your health process. And it really is this, you know, it's like stacking sats is this accumulation process of wise decisions to number one, making more money than you spend. Yeah, right. And I think health is kind of like you can visualize health as these credits, right? Every time we do a shitty behavior, we're spending health credits. And most people are in debt, right? Catastrophe is bankruptcy. So if each day you do a good health habit, you're putting one credit in the health bank. Now you have more to spend. So if you do some wacky shit, that's not good for your health. You can still do it if you have enough credits, which is fine. You know, when I drink a couple of beers, I'm not doing it because I think it's healthy. I'm doing it because I've earned the right to do that with all the other shit I'm doing. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, stacking sats and, and stacking health credits is fundamentally the same mindset where it's like, you know, spend less than you make be right. consistent. And getting wealthy is the long-term accumulation of health and and health credits and Sats. That's it. It's not, there's no shortcuts. There's no trick. It's literally just, you know, get healthy and wealthy slow. That's the scheme. And only people with a low time preference are going to be able to embark on that. And I think- Yeah, the more pain that the fiat world induces, the more people get shifted over, I think everyone ends up at Bitcoin. This is like, I've really started to feel a deep sense of ease, knowing that if all change happens through curiosity and pain, most of the people holding sats right now got there through curiosity, they're going to start spending those Sats at some point. So there will be more sats flowing through the world of the, the Bitcoin world. And as people in the fiat world experience exponentially more pain, more people shift over to Bitcoin. Yep. As people in the sick care, disease care world experience more pain, inevitably, they will shift over to self-care, which is true health care, and will be in search of people who can help them. And so this is really just an inevitability. It's like, how do we build good, good bridges to help people make their way to the other side? And how do we build good products so that they can actually, when they're ready, they can find the right things to help them? And I think this is, you know, this notion of a health product and services marketplace built on bitcoin is literally so necessary i'm not going to do it because i i don't want to take on more stuff but i want to help and give my time and energy to the people willing to do it and i know i know there's so many bitcoiners out there that would want to help with this as well and i think it's just a it's something we need to build together and there's probably already being built in micro communities i think I think Fedhi is a game changer for this because if you create a federation where everyone is now on this platform and yep. they can find their federation leader who curates resources in the app who creates this like, you know, environment where there's a bunch of guardians that, you know, take on the responsibility of community custody and that you trust, there is an element of trust. Ironically, trustless money allows us to start rebuilding trust and I think We burned a lot of trust in the medical world during the COVID fiasco. And I think it's, people are ready to begin trust, you know, especially people that have Bitcoin. It's like, if someone is asking for Bitcoin aligns with Bitcoin, I'm gonna trust them way more than they're still in the fiat world. And I think there's an opportunity to rebuild trust with a new type of healthcare provider, where the only qualification you need is to be healthy. That's proof of work. So how do we create that?
1: I love it. You, you know, you mentioned again the cumulative effect, right? Of, of of good health behavior and and damaging health behavior. It is a blockchain in the sense that yeah, you're stacking those days, you're stacking those those behaviors, and it is immutable in a lot of ways. All right. You it look is, back, right. it's like I either did those things or I didn't do those things relative to to personal health. And again, not to think that there's not an accumulative effect of that immutability you know, and that, of that ledger is is naive. And um, man, we share that we share the same goal. We share the same mission in this regard is, is to create a new health economy, you know, that that really re- rewards proof of work and and rewards use the word curiosity uh, to become truly informed as it relates to personal health and how we think about paying for it. Um, you know, there are a, a, many like minded people across the the space that, you know, by nature, most Bitcoiners are pretty healthy people. Right. If you took a, a cross section of the metabolic health of most Bitcoiners, at least that I've engaged with uh, metabolically, uh, the lion's share, the majority of them are, I would call metabolically healthy. And so there's this. They have
0: the time to take care of themselves because it's not being well, stolen.
1: <laughs> well, they do. And it's like, OK, they really they really measure and they think about what they put into their bodies from a nutrition standpoint. Um, it doesn't mean they don't enjoy a good beer, uh, like you said. But they they weigh the opportunity costs of what they put into their bodies and, and the activities that they choose to engage in and and the people that they surround themselves with and, and uh, you know, the healthcare uh, providers they choose to engage with. And, um, you know, I think a lot of I think a lot of physicians and especially direct primary care docs are Bitcoiners already. They just don't know it yet. Um, Agreed. and and they too will arrive. It's like, man, there's gotta be a better way. And here's how it's really manifested itself. And I, you know, I've kind of practiced what I, what I preach in this. And so, um, you know, I have a direct primary care doc and it's a membership model uh, this one's an annual membership fee, but I have direct access to, you know, to care, to his cell phone, uh, to, to be able to see him same day or, or pretty much the same day, if not in person over the phone or via, you know, a Webex. And um, the value that I assign to that relationship is so much higher than if I just saw primary care that was through an insurance network through my employer or that accepted my health insurance um, as it functions here in, in the U.S. It's so much higher. Um, I think about, you know, my health so much more on a daily basis because I value that relationship, not because he's a doctor and I see him for everything. Actually, I rarely see him. Um, That's a good doctor. <laughs> yeah. And well, it's just like, look, I'm engaged in, you know, my metabolic health. I try to eat the right things. I try to get, you know, exercise and, and strength training and all those things that I, I've i come to know that are, you know, um, uh, helpful, at you know, in terms of personal health and have a large impact on it. Uh, but I, I assign more value because I pay out of pocket for that. And I just, when we do engage, it's like, it's legit. And I know that I'm going to get, you know, good information. Um, he doesn't accept Bitcoin yet, um, yes. but he left his profession because he was part of a large network and had no real true engagement with his patients. Get, he had such a large patient role. And now he's down to like 500 patients that he sees through the course of a year. And, man, that's nothing for a primary care. And I think, you know, on a, on a Bitcoin standard, a direct primary care physician could, could see even fewer patients, make a very good living, and be a part of this this new health economy with all the benefits that we've talked about today. Um, less is more, right? We, need, we yes. need doctors to be able to make house calls again. And in a Bitcoin economy, they can't.
0: And if they have a good support team of health educators a doctor can do a lot more great work can really exponentially scale their energy if they have a good team of people who can. Help their patients get healthy and then if something does happen, the doctor is there to deal with it like I just think there's a whole new. way to structure a practice built on bitcoin that has nothing to do with all the legacy baggage that sucks up so much of the cost, which means you can give more value for less for less money and sure. um, yeah. For I'm here sure. my little, I got a four week old and I'm hearing her start to get a bit sassy downstairs. Oh, so I'm going to all, uh, thank you. Yeah. But I want to do this again, because I really think, you know, you're in Nashville, Bitcoin park is in Nashville. Maybe they do a health health and Bitcoin event. That would be, you know, the idea of being able to invite a bunch of doctors, surgeons, Bitcoiners, getting them all in the same place, talking about the potential of this, I think is part of how we create yeah. opportunities to build better things, right? You get coders, providers, Bitcoiners in one room, magic can happen. So uh maybe that's something to put on the roster eventually. And I think I think it just makes sense that Bitcoiners will be interested in health. And like you said, they take care of themselves. They want to probably take better care of themselves. They're curious and they have the money. Um and they have the time because their money's preserving their time. So
1: yeah, yeah, agreed. We'll we'll see if we can work on that with Rod and the guys over there, and um, we'll see what we can we can generate maybe for 2024, but, you know, I just, there's going to be a lot more work done in this space. Um, I'm excited to be a part of it and help in any way I can, either through startups or through education or through four, you know, forums like this, Nick, and, and we need to do this again, because I think, you know, in six months, this story is going to continue to evolve and you're going to start seeing, seeing more use cases um, where Bitcoin is, is, you know, being used and, uh, maximized from a health standpoint. Um, you know, some of the other things too, we didn't even talk about and, you know, earning, earning type models is, you know, is somehow being rewarded in Satoshi's for, um, you know, for good health behavior. And there's, you got to think about, okay, we can't be too intrusive because that would encroach on like patient sovereignty. Um, but man, as, as you think about collectives, um, Bitcoin health collectives that somehow, you know, reward people for being less of a burden on that Bitcoin health collective, uh, in Satoshi's, maybe there's opportunities there. I mean, it's all of the, all of the incentives align, right? So yeah. I look forward to this conversation evolving and I suspect, uh, we're going to see some great things in the next couple of years.
0: Likewise. Let's do it again in a couple of months. I actually had a bunch of ideas that i sent andy about how he could incentivize crowd health members to take better care of themselves by literally paying them sats to show up and you know do sessions with someone who could actually take some tangible measurements about how they're doing what their movements like like there's so many hygiene metrics that you can measure without being too intrusive that really give a good and even just like what if every time you went to a group movement session you got a certain amount of credits or something like that like there's so many ways of doing this so I very much look forward to continuing the conversation. Let's do it in a couple months. We'll pick a topic specifically. Now that we've kind of, you know, opened the door, we've let's laid it uh, out there. Yeah. find little corners that we can explore. And uh, yeah, I look forward to it, Stuart. Thanks for taking the time, and uh, thanks everyone for listening, Stuart. If uh, if people want to find out more about you, where do they find you on the internet?
1: Uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, Stuart Lackey One, and uh, LinkedIn as well. So um hopefully we'll be uh we'll be sharing more content um on the subject uh, as we as we go forward so cool Nick, thanks so much
0: you're welcome Stuart. and that's Lacky, lackey l-a-c-k-e-y and i will uh tag you i'll probably get this up within 48 hours to the sto, and i'll tag you in it and post about it on uh on x slash twitter
1: that sounds good Nick.
0: All right, folks, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, listen to it on Fountain. You get paid sats and you can actually contribute sats to the Bitcoin Stoa if you enjoy the content. Take care of yourselves, stack sats, stack health, and we'll catch you next time.